morning, everybody. How are we all doing? Good. You know, it is so much fun when the kids are in here because they talk to me when I ask questions, so I'm grateful for that. Uh, Open your Bibles to 2 Timothy. We're going to be on page 1056 if you're using the Pew Bibles this morning. Uh, We'll do some Q&R at the end. If you jump on slido.com and type in RevCDA in the prompt, you can anonymously text in your questions, and uh, we'll take a look at them when we're done. And let me pray for us. Lord God, thank you so much for today. Just, um, I, I didn't want to get out of bed this morning. It was dark and it was cold. And yet in your grace and in your goodness, you put breath in my lungs. Um, my muscles moved. And that's, that's just a gift that all of us receive. And we, we just, we don't, we don't remember that because it's so normal, but it's, it could end at any time. And we're just thankful today that you've brought us here to this place to hear your word, to fellowship with one another, to sing together, to to remind each other of your promises to us through song. Just grateful for your people, the freedom that we have to gather. And God, I just pray that you would... um, Reveal yourself to us this morning through your word, by your Holy Spirit, and teach us. In Jesus' name, amen. Okay. I should probably open my Bible too. Who likes Twinkies? Show of hands. Okay. Yeah, see, this, all of the millennial adults are raising their hands. None of the small children are because none of you give your children Twinkies. That's fine. <laughs> Kids, ask your parents for Twinkies when you get home today. <laughs> uh, in 2010, Mark Hobb of Kansas State University, he's a nutritional professor, wanted to show that weight loss was a matter of less calories uh, in, no, yeah, less calories in than out. And so he started eating only Twinkies. The number of calories on each Twinkie are listed on the box, and so he calculated based on his weight and his, his goals how many calories he needed to be in a calorie deficit and only eat Twinkies, and over the period of several months, he lost 27 pounds. That was the headline and the first paragraph of the article. But you keep reading, and you you read some other things. You read that also he took a daily multivitamin, and also he had a protein shake every day, and also he ate a can of green beans every day. Why? Because nutrition is not just about calories, it's about nutrients. The things you put into your body actually matter. And even though he met his weight loss goal with his Twinkies, he knew he would get sick and die if he didn't supplement that terrible food with something that actually was good for him. 
And so we ask the question physically, what do we bring into our bodies? What are they made of? How do they interact with us as they decompose in our digestive system and those nutrients spread around the systems of our cells? Are we being nourished by our food or are we just eating junk? We can ask the same question about our spiritual nutrition. If we are going to be transformed, and this is what this series that we've been in for the last number of weeks is about, what does it mean to be transformed into someone who looks more and more like Jesus? We need nutrients. What we put in our spirits, in our hearts, in our minds, it matters. And we can fill those areas of our being with junk, or we can fill them with things that actually cause us to grow. So this morning, we are going to be talking about engaging with the scriptures as a means of transformation. Donald Whitney says, there is simply no healthy Christian life apart from a diet of the milk and meat of scripture. So we've got a single verse to dig into this morning. And what I want to look at in this command from Paul to his associate Timothy is that intake of scripture does three things for us. It fosters relationship with God. It creates confidence in the gospel and it equips us to teach others. So first off, scripture fosters relationship with God. Paul says, be diligent to present yourself to God as one approved. And this is where we can immediately get off track here because we will read that and go like, I need to study my Bible so that I can be approved, so that I can get a gold star, so that I can check the box, so that God will be happy with me. But this is not what Paul is talking about. Whenever Paul uses this word approved, he's talking about people who are already approved. Romans 16, Paul says, greet Apelles, who is approved in Christ. In 2 Corinthians 10, so let the one who boasts, boast in the Lord, for it is not the one commending himself who is approved, but the one the Lord commends. See, the reality is that this statement of being approved is about your identity. It answers the question, who are you? Are you on the outside of the relationship, trying to win God's favor, check the boxes and meet the marks in order to make God happy with you? See, if that's how you approach the scriptures, you will either be proud because you're good at reading the Bible, or you will be despondent because you are bad at reading the Bible. But if you are a Christian here this morning, if you have repented from your sins and given your life to Jesus as your ultimate allegiance, you are already approved. I used to work at the Salvation Army Croc Center, and now I, I don't work there, but I am a member. Um, my, my daughter, Nora, has climbing class every Saturday, and so we could go watch her on the climbing wall. And, and there's this, like, kind of gate area, if you're familiar with the croc, that, and there's a sign that says, every time you pass this point, you need to scan your membership card. And so that's what I do. I, I get out my membership card, and I scan it every time I go past that point, because I'm not allowed past that point unless I can prove that I'm a member. I am constantly being questioned, and everybody's nice about it. Are you allowed here? Can you go back here? Have you, have you paid us this month? 
When I was on staff, I, had, I just didn't think about that. I would go back and forth between the gym and the theater and the offices. I had a key to every single room in that building. And no one ever asked me, are you allowed back here? Can you get in here? Are you welcome here? Because I had already been approved. I had already been hired. I was, I had, I'd gone through the training and I was in. See, if you're a Christian here this morning, you do not have to show up to God and give out your credentials. You don't have to argue yourself into relationship. You don't have to prove yourself because Jesus has done that for you. But we also see in this passage that relationship flows from that identity. If you are in Christ, if you are approved, you have a connection to God. Your identity as a child of God gives you access to him through his word. I wonder if if we think of reading and studying the Bible this way. In Hebrews 4, the author says, For the word of God is living and effective and sharper than any double-edged sword, penetrating as far as the separation of soul and spirit, joints and marrow. It is able to judge the thoughts and intentions of the heart. See, the scriptures are living with the Holy Spirit. They are totally unique in that, in how we interact with them. Like if I read The the Ruthless Elimination of Hurry by John Mark Comer, which is a great book, you should all read it. I don't read that and go like, I just feel connected to John Mark Comer right now. If I read The Reason for God by Tim Keller, also excellent book, I don't like, I I just feel really close to Tim. If I read an article by Bill Bully in the Coeur d'Alene Press, I don't, I don't have a connection with Bill in that. But the scriptures are different. The scriptures give me access to the very words of God, the God of the universe. And those words are effective. They change me. They engage with and move my heart. There's a story at the end of, the gospel, of Luke's gospel where there's this couple on, a ro- on the road to a town called Emmaus and they've just gone through this horrific weekend where their, their rabbi, their, their, what they thought was their king, Jesus, has been crucified by the Romans and they're just destroyed by this. And then on Sunday, it seems as though some people have said, no, he's not dead anymore. He rose again. He's alive. But, but not everybody has seen him And this couple's walking to their home away from Jerusalem in this village. And Jesus shows up to them. And he somehow hides his identity from them for a while and coyly asks them some questions about, hey, what's going on? Why are you so sad? Which is super funny. Jesus is really funny. Uh, And he he just converses with them about what's been happening. and, And then he starts talking about how all throughout the scriptures, the Messiah's death and resurrection has been predicted. And he teaches them this Bible study on this road back to their village. They invite him in for dinner. And as soon as he breaks bread at their table, he disappears and they realize who he was. And they said to each other, weren't our hearts burning within us? while he was talking with us on the road and explaining the scriptures to us. And I think when we read that story, we focus on the fact that Jesus is standing there on the road teaching them this Bible study. And that's amazing. 
but they also point out their hearts burned within them while he was explaining the scriptures to them. See, we have access to God through his word in a unique way. And this is, this, this is, needs to be our priority, right? No matter, no matter why we think we need to be engaged in the Bible, this needs to be the top reason. John Wesley says, in using all means, seek God alone. In and through every outward thing, look singly to the power of his spirit and the merits of his son. Beware you do not stick in the work itself. If you do, it is all lost labor. Nothing short of God can satisfy your soul. Therefore, I, him, in all, through all, and above all. Engaging with the scriptures fosters our relationship with God because we are approved. We are given access to his word by his spirit. But then Paul says, be diligent. Be diligent. Some of your translations might say, make every effort. And there's a real, there's a real paradox here because you've been approved by God. You have his very word in your lap and Paul has to exhort you to get into it. Come on, read your Bible. And the worst thing is this is the pastor he's talking to. Be diligent. Make space, set aside time, do the work. Why is this so hard for us sometimes? I think one reason is because there's a language barrier. I don't know if you ever saw this commercial. There's a, a little uh, uh, like nautical control room. There's a voice on the radio that says, Mayday, Mayday, hello, can you hear us? Can you hear us? We're sinking. We are sinking. And then the, the man in the booth says, hello, this is the German Coast Guard. And the voice on the radio goes, we're sinking. We're sinking. And the guy goes, what are you sinking about? <laughs> Pete Greek says, the simple fact of the matter is that the Bible is very long. 1,200 pages, very old, written two to 3,000 years ago, and very different in its cultural context from our own. John Walton says it this way, the Bible was written for us, but it wasn't written to us. And so sometimes our engagement with God's word is frustrating because we don't understand what God's trying to tell us. Has anybody ever read the Bible and just been like, I don't know what that means? Yeah, Maybe, maybe all of us, if we're honest. It's technically in English, right? But I walk away going like, I don't know what to do with that. And hopefully this isn't your experience all the time, but often engaging the scriptures can be hard. My wife and I go to the gym on separate days. We take turns each morning. And for some reason, we often, when, when either I come home from the gym or she comes home from the gym, the question is, hey, how was the gym? And I, just, I ask that question, I get asked that question, and yet I think that's such a weird question. Like, I don't know, it was, it was fine. I'm tired and sore, but I'm glad I did it, I guess. Sometimes it's, man, it was so good, but not always. 
I think the same is, can be said about our engagement with the scripture. Some, some seasons in God's words can be really fulfilling. And others you just need to press into diligently because you know that these words are life-giving. And when you create a discipline of doing that, you will learn to hear God's voice. But it will take time and it will take effort. But this has to be the primary lens that we look at this spiritual discipline through. Unearned relationship with God based on his love for you that brings transformation into the image of his son. Dallas Willard says, I constantly and thoughtfully engage myself with the ideas, images, and information that are provided by God through the scriptures, his son Jesus, and the lives and experiences of his people through the ages. In doing that, I am constantly nourished by the Holy Spirit in ways far beyond my own efforts or understanding. What I receive in response to my efforts is therefore a gift, a grace. Our primary engagement with the scriptures is designed to connect us more deeply to God himself. But also, engagement with the scriptures creates confidence in the gospel. In our, in our verse this morning, we are called to be diligent, to present ourselves as one approved, a worker who doesn't need to be ashamed. Because the thing is, being a student of the scriptures breeds confidence. So why would we be lacking in confidence? If you're, if you're unaware, there are many voices in our culture, in our world, that speak words of doubt into our hearts. Epicurus, 270 BC, says, is God willing to prevent evil but not able? Then he's not omnipotent. Is he able but not willing? Then he is malevolent. He is both able and willing, then whence cometh evil? Is he neither able or willing? Then why call him God? This critique of our faith repeats itself every generation to today. Hey, you don't really believe that stuff, do you? Richard Dawkins, there is something infantile in the presumption that somebody else has a responsibility to give your life meaning. The truly adult view, by contrast, is that our life is as meaningful, as full, and wonderful as we choose to make it. Dawkins is a staunch atheist and critic of religion in general and Christianity in particular. Is that true? Are we infantile in our thinking? Jesse Ventura, WWF wrestler and one-time governor of Minnesota, I think. Organized religion is a sham and a crutch for weak-minded people. Ouch. But beyond that, what about the quiet voice in your head that whispers to you that you are a fool? That all of this is make-believe? That you'd be happier if you just walked away from it? Does anybody ever hear that voice? I do. John Chrysostom in the 400s wrote about this. He said, because it was natural for many to be ashamed both of Paul himself as being a tent maker and of the preaching since its preachers perished. For Christ had been crucified himself. Paul was about to be beheaded. Peter was crucified with his head downwards. And these things they suffered from audacious and despicable men. Chrysostom is realizing that, that the Christian faith is marked by all of these people who seem to be losers, who seem to fail at life, who seem to be persecuted and poor and in the margins. 
Sometimes it seems like the smart people, the successful people, the popular people, they're the voices that would lead us away from trusting in Christ. That our lives of faith are foolish. That taking God seriously when he gives us a distinct calling and an ethic that rubs against the rest of the world is foolish. And engaging God's word is a guard against feeling ashamed. Matthew 7, Jesus says, Therefore, everyone who hears these words of mine and acts on them will be like a wise man who built his house on the rock. The rain fell, the rivers rose, and the winds blew and pounded that house, yet it did not collapse because its foundation was on the rock. But everyone who hears these words of mine and doesn't act on them will be like a foolish man who built his house on the sand. The rain fell, the rivers rose, the winds blew and pounded that house, and it collapsed. It collapsed with a great crash. So you and I, we have to make the decision about what sort of house we are going to build before the storm comes. Many of us find ourselves in a place of, 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 of doubt and, and struggle of, of even believing any of this to be true, let alone being committed to following Christ. And then we learn how strong that house actually is. I built, um, I built a shed in our backyard which we converted into an office for my wife a couple of this last year. And it was the first time I'd ever built a building all by itself, you know, completely. And, and I like poured the concrete footings and, and all of it. And, and for a while, I, 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 just, I would look underneath and be like, is it sinking? I, I don't know. I, but now that it's like three or four years old, I'm pretty confident that it's going to stand up. <laughs> because over time engaging with it, my confidence in it increases. And I think it's the same with God's word. As, as you are continually, habitually engaged with God's word, your confidence in your faith increases. Now, this isn't always the case, but often those that find themselves moving away from Jesus are the same people that are moving away from the scriptures. And I'm afraid that that happens way too early today. A lot of deconstruction is a, is a big cultural phenomenon and, and it means a lot of different things to a lot of different people. But at the very least, it means asking questions about things you've assumed to be true. And there are lots of really helpful ways that we should be refining and questioning the assumptions we've inherited from our tradition. We need to hold them up to the scriptures and work hard to get to the bottom of what our faith really is. But sometimes I fear that what's presented to us is you can either have a naive view of your faith or you can abandon it. And those are just not the only options. And it's actually digging deeper into what God's word is about that clarifies some of that confusion. J.I. Packer says, we should not abandon faith in anything God has taught us merely because we cannot solve all the problems which it raises. Our own intellectual competence is not the test and measure of divine truth. It is not for us to stop believing because we lack understanding, but to believe in order that we may understand. And maybe you're not a Christian here this morning, and that sounds a little anti-intellectual, kind of like, you know, Christians are putting their heads in their sand. Don't tell me, don't give me the answers. I don't want to know about it. And the truth is that some Christians live their life that way. 
Some Christians don't know why they believe what they believe. But it's also true that Christian men and women digging into the scriptures have inspired the greatest intellectual tradition that the world has ever known. And they still have to come and say, God is too big for us to understand completely. Which, if he is real, is what you'd expect. So as we engage with the scriptures, if we want to have confidence in our faith, confidence in God, we need to have confidence in his son revealed to us, Jesus Christ, because Jesus is the centerpiece of that faith. He says in John 5, you pour over the scriptures because you think you have eternal life in them, and yet they testify about me, but you are not willing to come to me so that you may have life. As we open God's word, as we learn more about Jesus, we grow in confidence. And if we are healthy, that confidence is what pours out of us. Because the third thing that God's word does for us is it equips us for teaching. 2 Timothy 2, the end of the verse says that, that Timothy is to be correctly teaching the word of truth. So this is Paul, the apostle, writing to Timothy, this man that he has called to shepherd the church at Ephesus. But I think we can all be encouraged here because we are all teachers in some way or another. The author of Hebrews, again, in in chapter 5 says, we have a great deal to say about this, some things that that he's talked about earlier, and it is difficult to explain since you have become too lazy to understand. Although by this time you ought to be teachers, you need someone to teach you the basic principles of God's revelation again. You need milk, not solid food. Now everyone who lives on milk is inexperienced with the message about righteousness because he is an infant. But solid food is for the mature, for those whose senses have been trained to distinguish between good and evil. The author of Hebrews calls out to the whole church and says, hey, by now all of you should be teachers. But you're not. You're infants. And the thing is, there's nothing wrong with being an infant. Many of you have infants right now. They're cute, among other things. But it would be a real disaster if your infants didn't mature. The medical language for this is called failure to thrive. When a child just quits developing for some reason. And it's a problem and continually engaging in God's word will cause you to mature, to be transformed. Lifeway Research recently said 59% of U.S. Protestants read the Bible at least a few times a week. The downside of that is 41% don't. This is spiritual failure to thrive, and it's devastating to the church. It has real impact on marriages and children and Christian witness in the world. So many Christians are following just the most foolish nonsense on a diet of Twinkies. And a large part of that is because as a people, we just don't know the scriptures. Donald Whitney, in his book on spiritual discipline, shares a story about a trip he made to East Africa. He says, no one had a Bible, not the pastor, not a deacon, no one. The pastor had only half a dozen sermons, all half-baked over the coals of a few Bible story recollections. Every sixth week came the same sermon. 
Only one man had any measure of spiritual maturity, and that was because he had lived most of his life elsewhere and attended a Bible-teaching church. It's one thing to be unfamiliar with Scripture when you don't own a Bible. It's another thing when you have a bookshelf full. And this is, this is the state of the church today, is that we have more Bibles than we could even read. And yet so many of us choose to remain spiritual infants. Paul calls on Timothy to correctly teach. Your Bible might say rightly divide. It means to cut straight. The Greek word here is sometimes used to communicate building a road through a forest. The engineers must work hard to build the road correctly, not just for their own benefit, but for all of those that are going to travel the road after them. So as we pursue the spiritual discipline of engaging with the scriptures, we grow in the tools to guide others in that same discipline. Jesus says in John 17, sanctify them by the truth. Your word is truth. Sanctify is a transformation word. It means to make holy. Jesus is clear that his word is the truth and his word will make us holy. So the question for all of us is, do you believe that you are equipped to teach others to walk the way of Jesus? And I don't mean like deep philosophical theology, not Hebrew exegesis, but like Paul says in 1 Corinthians 11, imitate me as I also imitate Christ. Can you say that? Hey, if you want to know more about following Jesus, you should pay attention to me. <laughs> the truth is you don't have to because people are already imitating you. Parents, your kids are learning how to be Christians from your life. If you are the Christian at work, your coworkers are taking notes. Frank says he's a Christian. Okay, I see what that means by observing the way he works, the way he talks, the way he uses his time, the way he speaks about the boss, the way he treats customers. All of those data points are how you are teaching someone what it means to follow Jesus. We are all teaching with our lives. The question is, are we teaching the truth? And that's a big question mark if we aren't engaging the scriptures because that's where we find the truth. Maybe this morning you've got a really consistent and solid habit of engaging with God's word. And that's awesome. But maybe you don't. Maybe you're, you're someone who says, yeah, I know I should read my Bible. I get really excited about it. I start in Genesis and I get like four chapters in and then I give up and then I have to start in Genesis again. And I know Gen the first chapter of Genesis really, really well. Maybe you feel guilty because you don't really read or study God's word. And as I continue to point out in this series, the point of all of this is not to make you feel guilty. The point of this series is to display some of the means that God has provided for you to be transformed into a person that thinks and acts like Jesus. And the scriptures are a gift of his goodness and grace, and we get them. We have them. They are ours to learn. Back in his first letter to Timothy, Paul says this, practice these things, be committed to them so that your progress may be evident to all. This is such an important idea when it comes to spiritual discipline. He doesn't say your mastery. He doesn't say your brilliance. He doesn't say your expertise. He says your progress. We are being invited into growth 
and the slow process of maturity. And one of the means that God has given us for that is engagement with his word. So as we, as we wrap up this morning, I want to I get practical. What are some ways that you can connect with the scriptures? The first one is you can hear God's word. Some of you are not readers. I, I love to read. I give books away to people and people are like, yeah, no thanks. I'm not going to read that, which kills me. But that's fine. We're, we're not all the same people. We can be different. And it's okay. Be a listener. We have these tools that will read the Bible for you, to you. And honestly, that's how most Christians engage with, have engaged with Scripture throughout history. It used to be that your church might have one Bible, and they'd keep it chained to the pulpit so it didn't get stolen. And the only opportunity for people to hear the Word is when somebody read it to them. The Dwell Bible app, if you're not familiar with it, is an excellent resource for having the Bible read to you. Make a ha- that's such, such a great practice in your car. And I think, you ask somebody smarter than me about this, but the, the way that listening to someone read connects with your brain is very similar to reading it yourself. You're not taking a shortcut because you're not reading. You're engaging with God's word in a way that makes sense for you. But then also, maybe, maybe it's reading. Come up with a Bible reading rhythm that works for you and just read the word. We've been talking about prayer for a couple of weeks. I, the idea that we would have consistent daily rhythms of prayer might go hand in hand with consistent daily study of God's word. Pick a Bible reading plan. There's a lot of them out there. And just work your way through the scriptures. Right now, I'm reading a Bible that doesn't have any chapters or verses in it. And it's, it's really fun because I just open it up like a novel and I read, and how, how much do I read every night? I have no idea. I just read until I'm tired of reading. And it's, it's been a really interesting uh, discipline. I've got a, here's a little picture here about, um, if you can read that. If you want to read the whole Bible in two years, you have to read six minutes a day. One year, 12 minutes, six months, 25 minutes. Three months, 50 minutes. One month, two and a half hours. I mean, the Bible's a big book, but that doesn't make it sound super difficult. It's kind of like those, you know, those workout machines where it's like, you know, only for six minutes a day, if you do these exercises, you will look like Arnold Schwarzenegger. That's not true, but this is. Reading the Bible isn't a difficult habit to create. You just have to make it happen. And this comes back to the framework we've talked about many times, that we need to have vision for what reading the scriptures is going to do for us. We have to have the intention. We have to make the decision to do it. And then we have to engage the means, vision, intention, and means. And if we have those things, we will, over time, be changed. So hear the Bible, read the Bible, but also study the Bible. Dig into the text. Learn how to understand it in the context it was written in. Why should we study? Because the Bible is hard to understand. 
Irenaeus in the second century said, the entire scriptures, the prophets, and the gospels can be clearly, unambiguously, and harmoniously understood by all, although all do not believe them. And that is true. The gospel, the good news that God loves you and sent Jesus to take your place and pay for your sins in order to reunite you with him forever. Even small children understand this. Many of the children in this room are tracking with that, and it's good news. But Peter says about Paul's writings, there are some things that are hard to understand in them. The untaught and the unstable will twist them to their own destruction as they do with the rest of the scriptures. If you want to be in danger of twisting the scriptures, be someone who is untaught and unstable. One way to protect against that is to study in community. Michael Svigal says, the Christians were never meant to understand or apply scripture completely alone. Scripture must be read in conjunction with three things, teamwork, teachers, and tradition. And by that, he means the church as a whole, gifted teachers that have been called to communicate God's word and equipped with the teaching gift for the church, and then the testimony of the whole church throughout the ages, checking our work against the Christians that have come before us. Again, Svigal says, those who have studied the history of the church quickly learn a common formula that repeats itself in every generation. Me plus the Bible minus stable training equals heresy. So what should we study if we're going to be students of God's word? Just a couple ideas to throw out there. First one is hermeneutics. That's a big word. It means how to study the Bible. Want to study the Bible? Where should I start? How about how it works? How, do, how does the language work? How, how does context work? What are the genres of these books? Some background in the mechanics of how the Bible is organized. Super helpful. Secondly, biblical theology, or what's called the meta-narrative of Scripture. What is the whole Bible about? So the Bible is not just a bunch of like random pieces of religious literature put together. It is a whole unified story with Jesus at the center Study biblical theology so that you can learn to give a three to four sentence summary of the Bible's overarching story. And this is really helpful when you're talking about your faith with your non-Christian friends. What does it mean to be a Christian? Well, let me tell you the story of the Bible. Systematic theology. Questions like, who is God? What has Jesus accomplished on the cross? How are we saved? What is the church? What does a faithful Christian life look like? The Bible's not written this way. These doctrines are are distributed throughout different parts. And systematic theology seeks to take all of the relevant data and put them together in a bucket. It's an important way to think. And the last one I would throw in there is church history. We we have a tendency in the American church to just think that, that our faith started like with Billy Graham. It was like Jesus and then Billy Graham and today. And there's a lot of stuff missing in that framework. And it's a lot of really good, powerful stuff and and things that we can learn from. So how should we study? First of all, get a good study Bible. Um, There's there's lots of good ones out there. I can make recommendations if you need one. I, I really like Logos Bible software. You can spend so much money on it, but you can also spend like 100 bucks and get some really good tools for learning the original languages, understanding context. Read good Christian books. We've got a bunch of really good stuff in the lending library. I send out book recommendations from time to time in our newsletter. There's a lot of really good 
books about scriptural topics. Get into a gospel community. If you're not a part of a gospel community, you are missing out on an opportunity to study the scriptures in community with other people. And what that is going to do is it's going to rub up against your assumptions. Um, Sometimes there's heated discussion in gospel community. Not always. That's not the point. Um, But sometimes we find out that, oh, I've been thinking about this thing this way and this other person thinks about it this way. I've never thought about that before. And it's good for us. Our iron sharpens iron. There's tons of free resources online. Some of them are terrible. If you want, if you want suggestions, ask, email me. Um, the Bible Project videos and podcasts. The Bible Project is an amazing ministry of studying God's word deeply in a way that generations of Christians have never been able to experience. Biblicaltraining.org is a whole website full of seminary-level free classes on every conceivable subject. Join in equipping the saints cohort that we do here. It's too late now. You got to wait till next fall. (laughs) But you will learn these things. You will learn biblical theology. You will learn systematic theology with your peers in a community. The thing is, we spend time learning about the things that matter to us. Many of us dive headfirst into whatever our latest hobby is because the reality is that most of us have a more active and disciplined mental life than we let on. Someone will say, I'm not really cut out to study the Bible. I don't, I don't really, I'm not smart enough to grow like that. But that person knows everything there is to know about baseball stats or Bitcoin or homebrewing beer or the best strategies for winning at Call of Duty. And none of those things are bad, except maybe the Call of Duty one. (laughs) But uh, they show us that most of us are actually pretty good at learning stuff when we want to. It's hard to rank the spiritual disciplines as more or less important, but engaging with the scriptures to grow in our relationship with God, to find confidence in a world that is constantly casting doubt on us, and to be equipped to teach others, it's pretty important. And God's word is an immense gift to us to do that. As we close, I want to share a quote from Augustine. The preachers of your word pass by out of this life into another life, but your scripture stretches itself over the nations until the end of the world. Let's do some questions. I was going to say, mine's not loading either. What's going on? There we go. If there's more to the issue of it actually being difficult to make a habit, like someone with mental health struggles, what would you recommend? That's a really good question. So if you are struggling with mental health challenges, there might be multiple things in your life that are difficult, that you're bumping up against, right? And the tendency, and I can't speak for you personally, But I think in general, the tendency is to just kind of say, like, I can't. 
Whenever, I think all of us, uh, when we bump up to things that are hard, that are frustrating, that don't seem to work, we just go, I, I can't. And that's um, understandable. And I see added like neurodivergence. It's good. My, um, my youngest daughter is neurodivergent and she's, she struggles with the kind of like reading a book. So our education of her has, to look, has had to look different. We've spent a lot of time and energy trying things until certain things worked. And I don't know, whatever things will work for you are gonna be things that will work for you. There's probably not a, like a, a rubber stamp, this is what you need to do. But I think my encouragement would be like, if you recognize, man, I wanna be transformed to be more like Jesus, and I'm gonna set my mind to do it, I'm going to experiment. And I think this is something that we, we don't give ourselves freedom to do in the church. We, we come across somebody who has a plan for spiritual growth and we implement it and we think that's the thing and that's the only thing and that's the way it's going to work and this is how this person said to do it so I have to do it this way. And if it doesn't work for you, then again, you just feel bad. But I think there's a lot of freedom in these practices to go like, I'm going to try this thing. I'm going to get the Dwell Bible app and just listen to a psalm every morning. Did that work? Maybe. Maybe it didn't. Okay, maybe I'll try this other thing. Maybe I'll get online and, and get a Bible study that's got a devotion attached to it. Or, or, a, um, or I will incorporate a prayer and pray this scripture into my heart. There's a thousand different things you could do to engage with the word. I think if you find that the kind of normal things, if we can even use that word, aren't working for you, just don't be despondent in that, but use that as an opportunity to engage with God in a series of experiments on what would work. Because there is a way that God's word can be nourishment for you, even if it's unconventional. And, and that's probably a bigger conversation for some more personalized um, brainstorming there. Um, but my encouragement would be just don't give up and don't, be, don't fall into despair because the way everybody else does it doesn't work for you. You're you and that's okay. And God wants to be close to you and he's provided a way for you to engage with him. Do you have to be baptized to take part in communion? No. <laughs> Good questions. <laughs> You have to be a Christian to take part in communion. So we're going to take part in communion. <laughs> we're going to remember the broken body and the shed blood of Jesus together. And it is my hope and in the hope of the elders of our church that we make his word and his table the centerpiece of our gatherings. So after hearing the scriptures taught by Jesus and then breaking bread with him, the disciples from Emmaus realized that Jesus was among them. And I think that's a really powerful metaphor of what my hope is for our gatherings. Through the word and through the table, we would have an appreciation that Jesus is among us. And so I, I would invite you, if you're a Christian here this morning, to come to the table and take the bread and the cup back to your seats and just seek the Lord. Are there, are there things about your engagement with Scripture that he would speak to you this morning and say, hey, I'd like you to do this differently or, or more often? 
Are you being challenged in some way? Are you being comforted by your continual rhythms of God's word? Is there something else that the Spirit of God wants to say to you this morning? Take some, make some space for that. The, the prayer rugs are available if you want to come and kneel. Sometimes changing the posture of your body helps us change the posture of our hearts. We'll sing together, reminding each other of the truth of God's word. But before we do that, we're going to recite the Nicene Creed. And, and if you're new with us, the Nicene Creed is uh, a document that came together uh, in 325, when the Christians were finally free from the persecution of the Roman Empire, they got together not to make up doctrine like some uh, of the enemies of the church would say, but to agree together and distill what the scriptures were teaching so that they would have a simple tool that they could use to teach others. And the creed has bound Christians together for 1,700 years, and we say it together every week as an affirmation of what the scriptures teach us. You've been listening to the Revelation Church Coeur d'Alene podcast. Learn more about Revelation Church at revelationcda.com.